Jesse, super excited to talk to you about your brand, your YUY now, um, because I, I love this space. Um, but before we get too deep into the brand side, tell me your personal franchise story. How do you even fall into franchising? Sure. It's, uh, it's an interesting one. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Um, so I started the dog stuff back in 2009, and it was purely kind of a side hobby business. Um, wasn't uh, all that thrilled with the dog care offerings in my uh, neighborhood and, and where I was living, which was pretty close to where I grew up. Had spent a, time, a lot of time uh, volunteering, working in foster organizations and, and knew a lot of people in the dog care community and, you know, had heard uh, from a lot of people that, you know, they wished there was something better um, through college and, and uh, a few jobs after college. I traveled throughout the U.S. and seen some, you know, other concepts that had little bits and pieces of things that I thought were pretty cool. So decided to uh, try a, a go of my own in entrepreneurship and, and opened uh, the first dog stop location in 2009. I'm really just trying to improve upon what I thought were some of the biggest uh, flaws and faults uh, in the industry and uh, opened it up, you know, thinking I was going to keep my my full time job, which was in real estate. And uh, it quickly uh, grew, spiraled out of control into control into a, a full time job and, uh, you know, realized uh, that we we're really on to something um, and opened up a second location about a year later. It grew even faster than the first one did. Um, repeated that again with a third location uh, in 2012. Um, and around that time, we had a ton of customers from all three locations coming to us saying like, hey, how do we get involved? This is awesome. We love the brand. Looks like you're having a lot of fun. Looks like, you know, it's it's successful. You know, can we open one of these up in, you know, our hometown or can we help you expand this? So um, hadn't really ever considered that. Just figured it was going to be something that we had a few of them here. Um, and then kind of serendipitously, I happened to be sat at a wedding next to a, a family friend. I never really knew what he did, but knew of him. And, and at the time, he was a business consultant. He came in, spent a day or two with us just to help us try to improve our, our three locations. Um, and after leaving, uh, he said, you know, we, we got to go have lunch. And we sit down. He was like, have you ever considered franchising? I was like, I haven't. I don't know anything about it. And he said, well, prior to being a business consultant, I spent 40 years in the franchise world, grew two different systems, over 400 units. And um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a more franchise business model than what you have here. Let's talk about it. Let me teach you about it. And um, that was really how it all started. Um, was very fortunate to have him as an early mentor who really uh, impressed upon us the the importance of building the foundation, going very, very slow at the beginning. Um, I used to, you know, tease him that, that it was terrible advice. And now that I look back on it, I know it was the best advice we ever got. Our first year, he said, sell two locations and then stop. And we sold two and got those two open. In the second year, he said, you're going to sell three locations and then stop. We sold three, got those three open. The third year came around. I said, Mark, if you tell us to sell four this year, I'm going to kill you. Like, we got to start selling. He said, you're really going to be mad. We're going to sell zero. And I said, zero. He said, we're going to work with those first five until those first five love us and are, be, are super successful. And, you know, we really know what we're doing because, you know, franchising is, is a whole different animal. Um, you're not going to sell anymore. I listened to him uh, and that was the best advice, you know, that, that anyone has ever given us and really allowed us to build the foundation the right way, work with those first five and really learn how to be a franchisor. I'm sure you know this, you know, the second you start franchising, you're no longer in the dog business or the pizza business or the whatever business you're in the franchise business. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people, it takes them sometimes too long or, or, you know, longer than it should to realize that. So, um, 
that's that's the, the, the very abbreviated version of how this became a franchise. I love that. Are you comfortable sharing Mark's last name? Yeah, Mark Lando. Okay. Um, he had uh, originally been involved in, um, it was called the Athlete's Foot. It was, uh, yep. you know, prior to the kind of Foot Locker. Um, and then he was involved in Sweets from Heaven, which was one of those um, self-serve candy. You know, you fill up the bag and they're in all the airports and malls yeah. and like that. So, well, I, so typically, and I, I have a bunch of things that I want to unpack from your story, but typically I hear franchise consultant walks in. I'm like, okay, this, this is where the story turns into what's in it for me. I, I got to applaud him. I, I don't know that we've ever run into each other. Um, but what sound advice? Because most consultants today in franchising, especially for emerging brand, comes in and says, you're going to sell 100. And sure, you can totally get there. But I've, I've always said the slow methodical route, what it ends up doing is you go two and then five and then seven. And then now you can get to maybe 10 and then you can get to 20. And then over, over a five-year period, you might have 30 to 40 locations. But the reality is the royalties that are being kicked off of that end up being more significant. And you're not chasing franchise fees to keep the lights on because the dollars that are coming out are greater because you've made your franchisee successful which in turn, then they validate and then getting from 50 to 100 becomes so much easier. So what sound advice to get you there? Where, how many units do you have open today? So right now uh, we have 25 open. Um, but uh, last year, uh, 2021, um, we brought in a uh, an investor a partner to help us grow a little bit, uh, throw some fuel on the fire. So um, we actually have right now about 45 uh, franchisees who are either in site selection, construction or training. Um, so um, we're, we're going to double up here very quickly. And to your point, uh, without that kind of stable foundation and learning and understanding, taking that type of a jump, I think that's what you know puts a lot of franchisors in a really bad spot or, you know, ends up being the end of the brand because, um, you know, I can't imagine trying to do something like that without, you know, the past six or seven years of, of experience and in, in supporting all the different personalities and, and, you know, franchisees out there. The, the next question that I have, uh, and it's going to start with, are you comfortable with me asking this? Because I think when we were we were at least growing up, you weren't allowed to ask a woman how old she was. I think now today you can't ask anybody how old they were. But am I allowed to ask you how old you were when you started in 2009? Yeah, absolutely. In 2009, uh, I was 27, going on 28. Here's what I love about that. This is where the, the connections will start bridging. Uh, I started our company in 2008 okay. at, at 27. Okay. And if I reflect backwards on 8, 9, and 10, and I mean this in the nicest way to the former version of myself. So if my former version of myself ever meets me, I was I was dumb enough in business that I I didn't understand how bad the economy actually was during that time, which actually gave me an advantage because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm growing a company, not thinking about holy cow. I mean this this is bad. Were you in Were you in a similar? I mean you're you're getting into heavy real estate in the in, in a really bottom out time uh, of, our, of our lifetime from an economic sure. standpoint, how did you manage that mentally? Yeah, I mean, it was, it definitely, um, you know, I think the, the, the business was the outlet that I needed, given that everything I had known was real estate. And I was working on these very large, uh, at the time, they called them lifestyle developments, which mm -hmm. was, you know, these developers were, were, you know, spending, you know, 
a billion dollars building the live, work, and play, you know, developing 10 city blocks, and we're working on those all over the country. And of course, the funding for those pretty much went away overnight. So um, it was nice to have, you know, another outlet to, to kind of direct my, my energy and creativity. But, um, you know, one of the nice things about Pittsburgh, I don't know how, you know how much you know about Pittsburgh, but everybody kind of always says, you know, we're somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15 years behind the times. Um, and while certainly, you know, the, the 08 to, to 2010 downturn was, was difficult everywhere, um, you know, the, the kind of analogy, there's no hangover if you never went to the party. We never saw really any of the, the skyrocketing, uh, you know, real estate prices and, and valuations and things like that here in Pittsburgh. So I think we were hit a lot less. Um, I also think that, you know, coincidentally, you know, these are all things, again, as you said, now that I look back, I understand them. But um, the pet care space that I chose, and of course, I had no idea that this was going to be such a safe, smart play and, and you know, place to, to devote my energies and, and uh, investment. But it has proven to be pretty recession, uh, downturn, whatever you want to call it, resistant. Um, mm. I, I hesitate to say proof because I don't think anything is recession proof. But I mean, you know, if anything, you know, people uh, are shown to, you know, potentially put off some of those big life uh, decisions when things get tough, like, you know, having kids or, you know, making big investments and, and the dogs become the kids and they spend more on their dogs. And, uh, you know, it, it we've never really seen whether it be the 08 to, to 2010. Obviously, the pandemic was very challenging for all businesses, um, especially ours where, you know, 40, 45% of our revenues come from overnight boarding. And that went to pretty much zero during the early days yeah. of the pandemic. But um, we saw a very fast rebound and, and it's, you know, just exploded ever since. So, um, you know, unbeknownst to me at that moment, uh, I had chosen to jump into a, a relatively safe business uh, during a very uh, kind of uncertain economic time. Well, I mean, look, it gives, in, in my opinion, for businesses like mine and like yours, it gives us an advantage because once you know what turbulence feels like it allows you to address it later on. And, and in my opinion, if you, if there's an article 30 years from now written about the pet care industry and it talk it's, it talks about COVID, what it will say is yes, some of the services dwindled, but what happened is the increase in dog owners, the amount of human beings that said, Ooh, I'm at home. I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a pet. Mm -hmm increase significantly and so mentally and even for a franchise owner whatever the next one we go through is uh you got to understand like what that does is it goes like this and then it goes higher Correct. and so i think the biggest mistake that a franchisee makes is they don't come to the table with enough operating capital they say what's the investment look like and that's what i have it's like no 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 and and fr frankly when i advise a franchisee i'm like look at a brand where you can afford three of them. If you can't afford three of them comfortably, then that's not the right, right investment for you because you need those, that other funds. And obviously to scale at a pace, and you talked about going one to two and two has had better success than one learnings, probably real estate selection, everything else that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you have the funds for a rainy day, then yes, COVID, COVID is a tough thing on all businesses, but it allows you to seize the opportunity on the other end of it. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it, uh, a lot of good lessons learned, uh, as with any business, but you know, when you, when you throw those, uh, kind of environmental factors in, uh, you're, you're forced to learn on the fly, but, um, no, I agree. The, the capitalization of a franchise, I don't care what the, the business model is, is, uh, probably the most important. It was one of those lessons that we learned, you know, early on. And luckily, 
when we only sold two the first year and then yeah, right. the second year we were really able to kind of lean in and help and um we've always been um uh, I'd say as gracious as, as physically possible with our franchisees, trying to give them the financial support. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we, that's, that's what we're here for is to help them succeed in whatever capacity that may be. Um, and, you know, like through the pandemic that, that took the uh, form of not charging royalties for, for nine to 10 months. And, you know, me personally working with them and each individual landlord to get, you know, abatements and, and deferrals of rent and things like that. And, uh, you know, just you do whatever you can to make sure everybody survives. You're coming up on 15 years of, of doing this thing. And if we if we say, what's the story today about we have 45 franchisees in real estate selection or um, or in the process of build out, we have 25 units open. It sounds wonderful, but you've had to trek through things for 15 years to get to this point. If you reflect backwards, did, did that growth meet your expectations? Are you disappointed in it? Did it create a, a realities and now are you comfortable with it? Kind of give give the what's going on in the entrepreneur's mind sure. uh, as you go through 15 years of this. Yeah, I mean, there's I think there's been um, some pretty wild swings in there in terms of, you know, where where my headspace was. Um, you know, originally, I never thought we'd have more than one of these, you know, and then opened up a second and a third. And then I thought that was kind of. Yeah, you know, we had a nice little thing going there and it was under control. And then obviously this, uh, you know, franchise bombshell gets dropped on me and we decide to pursue that. And then, you know, initially, as we're putting together all the, the documents and working with the lawyers and I go to my first IFA show and I start to get, you know, all of these, you know, grand illusions of oh, we're going to have a thousand of, you know, you, you start <laughs> listening to things. And then, you know, Mark says, all right, we're going to sell two. We're going to sell three. Then it was like, all right, we're going to go really slow here and we get the five and then it's we're going to sell none. And right when we started feeling comfortable and, and um, you know, in 2016, 17, we decided, you know, let's, let's ramp this up a little bit. And, and we decided to sell 10, you know, which for us obviously was, was a big jump and we achieved that. Um, you know, we then hit the brakes again, thinking, all right, we're, we're about to try to go from five to 15, which is a really big jump. And we learned how important it was to take the pause the first time let's pause again. And that ended up being really you know, again, um, unbeknownst to us at the time, we were pausing right before the pandemic came along. So, you know, that ended up being a very good thing. Um, so I would say all in all, I mean, I'm very, very pleased and, and um, happy with where we are. Um, I'm very excited for what the future holds. I, you know, I've never wanted to or dreamed of being the biggest um, when it comes to pets, I think, you know, you have to focus on being the best. And, and I really like anything. I think it's really hard to be the biggest and the best just because to be the biggest, you have to go really, really fast. And it's hard to have that quality control. I think when you're just churning things out and replicating processes so quickly that you don't have time to really dive in and make sure that what you're replicating is, is the right process. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very happy and, and proud of where we are at the moment. Um, I'm really excited for the future here, getting to double up here probably in the next 12 months. And I think we'll probably, you know, hit that magical 75 number probably sometime by the end of 2024, early 2025, you know, and then, and then hopefully cross the century mark uh, by, you know, end of 25, early 26. So, you know, I don't, I, I've, I've kind of, the, that earlier version of myself that thought there was, you know, a, a 700 or a thousand or 2000, you know, units in this is, is long gone. Um, not something that, that I'm all that interested in. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I like I said, there's been ebbs and flows to it, and, and I think that's pretty normal uh, through the course of, of anyone's business journey. Um, but super, super excited about where Robert. we currently stand and the team we have. What is uh, what's your take on corporate locations right now? Will you continue to scale those? I don't think so. So we um, at the moment we have six of them, um, and there's five here in the Pittsburgh market, and then we have one just over the border into Ohio, uh, Boardman, Ohio. It's about an hour away. Um, I personally think, uh, and through our experience of having to step in once or twice and help manage a franchise location from very far away, you know, a thousand miles away, um, I think that that it is very important to be kind of an owner on the ground and part of the community um, with any business. Obviously, it's, it's kind of hard to manage from afar, but especially when you're caring for people's pets, um, I think it's so important. You know, everything that we do is about building that trust and that confidence. And, you know, if if you were to walk in, you know, to to a new dog stop in Atlanta and come to find out that the owner lives, you know, a thousand miles away or however far it is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it's kind of like a, a strike one right out of the gate. That's kind of like, eh, who, who am I really dealing with here? And, and and I don't think most people are looking for this big corporate entity to care for their kid effectively. You know, they they want somebody local on the ground. So. Um, maybe one or two more corporate stores here in Pittsburgh, but we are primarily focused on franchise growth. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a franchise candidate standpoint, I will say, I respect you having six. I, I agree uh, way out of market an hour away. You're not going to, you're not going to be seen at local baseball events and you're not going right. to be ingrained in the community uh, the way that you could be in, in Pittsburgh. Um, I like that you have one out of, one out of four, one out of five locations is one of yours corporately owned because what that also means is you're cash flowing the business through the corporate entity, which for a franchisee, that means the support that I can get from you is going to be greater than say someone that has one corporate location, not enough cash flow to support me uh, in the space. So as, as I'm looking at your brand for what it's worth, I think that's a huge asset that should be played up in the way that you're positioning things because you're saying not only are we putting our money where our mouth is, but we're also building our team to the cash that we're able to uh, pull from from the corporate unit. I, I see that as a as a huge advantage for what it's I worth. It. And you're and you're spot on. You know, location one pay for location two, location one and two pay for location three. The whole franchise business has been supported from day one from the the corporate cash flow. And mm-hmm. arguably, most importantly, I think that the biggest benefit, um, you know, to to me as I build the team, and more importantly to our franchisees, is, um, you know. The support that franchisees get, um, you know, I never want to be the brand where, you know, your franchise uh, support representative shows up and six months ago they worked at Pizza Hut and two years ago they worked at Burger King and they're flipping through manuals trying to figure out this business just like you are. So um, all of my corporate support staff have worked their way up through, or I'm sorry, my franchise support staff have worked their way up through corporate stores. They started in the back of the house. They became an assistant manager, a general manager, a regional manager, and now they're supporting franchisees. And those were obviously the best people to help franchisees run a store because they successfully ran corporate stores for me. And they know this business arguably as well as anyone. So that's right. A lot of benefits to having that corporate footprint. Are you making an earnings claim in item 19? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, do you mind sharing what that is? Um, in terms of just kind of gross averages across the board. So yeah. our average yeah. unit volume right now, um, and obviously a lot of new stores kind of dragging it down a little bit, but we're at about 925 That's average perfect. unit volumes. If you look at the mature stores, though, we're, we're much closer to that 1314 number. Um, Are you breaking those out as separate line items in item 19? 
Oh yeah. So we, I tried to, you know, that's one of the things that drives me crazy about franchising, all the rules and regulations. And, you know, it, it started with the corporate stores and into to franchising, try to be as transparent as possible. And just, I, I, I find it incredible that so many people are able to make this big leap of faith and investment with the limited information that we're legally allowed to provide them. Right. Um, so we really have tried very, very hard over the years to put as close to a PNL as our lawyers, lawyers will let us put into the agreement so they can see the actual financial performance of every individual location that's open. Um, so yes, yeah, so now we break it out um, by location top line sales, square footage, number of kennels, you know, we try to give everybody as much because we, we are um, unique in the respect that we're not cookie cutter. Every location looks totally different. Um, we have a variety of different sizes. Um, you know, we, we try to um, do whatever we can to build a location that suits the needs of the community, but arguably more importantly, the, um, the, the franchisee and, and what they're you know, able to uh, able to pull off. I mean, those, those, those numbers are great. I mean, I'll, I'll say from as, as an outsider, as, mm -hmm. as I look through your site and, and such, when, when I'm looking at an, an opportunity, uh, I, I mean, I tend to look for the exact same things that most buyers would look for. One is what's the vision of the, the leadership. And this should open up some opportunities as you, as you reflect backwards on how you position your story. I want to see more of your story. I mean, your story is phenomenal. That should be a part of your why you, why now I'm positioning. And ultimately I'm, I'm going to write you a check. Like you're, you're my guy and I want to follow your model. And frankly, if I'm getting into this, yes, I care about volumes to some extent. Yes. I'm curious on, on profitability, but I want to know what is the pathway for me to get to six units too, because I need to need to build this at scale. Sure. Beyond that uh, point of differentiation in the product, uh, I would totally play up that not every location looks and feels the same. That was one of the one of the beautiful things of Mellow Mushroom as a pizza brand that was trying to find its way in the marketplace. They said, "Hey, franchisees, you find the right real estate." As long as the menu stays consistent, that's our that's our holy grail. Everything else can be bendable, and I think that turns into a point of differentiation on the product side. I also, as an outsider, uh, the pet grooming services, the amount of daycare that we've tried having our dog get groomed at, and they're like, we we don't have full grooming services. I thought that was that was uh, fascinating, and then it's just. Can I open in the market that I want to open in? What does what does validation look like, and what's the cost to get in, and how much can I make? And so you have all this sound stuff. And to an outsider, if I'm putting you into the category of what exists in doggy daycare, for you to create these even flows, I think you actually have a leg up on competition uh, that you're probably not taking as much credit for in the way that you're positioning your story for what it's worth. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is, uh, I agree, but, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult because, uh, you know, you only have so much time and, and, you know, I, I've heard conflicting opinions on how much time people actually spend scrolling through websites in this. But what, what I do, um, is in our franchise sales process, the moment, um, you know, a lead comes in, obviously we have a, an incredible sales team, um, and, and Brandon Nielsen heads it up for us. Who's been selling franchises for, you know, 20 plus years, but, um, I get involved very, very early on, which everybody seems to really like and thinks is unique. So you have your intro call where he kind of walks through the process and, and what the you know next several weeks will look like goes through the business model and, and kind of shares a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Um, the second or third connection he has that we have with the franchisee. I actually have a 30 minute call. I just did one at 9am this morning. Uh, we call it the CEO call because 
A, I think it's very important for them to hear my story and to connect with me and, and vice versa. I want to know, make sure I know who's on the other end of, uh, you know, these applications and everything and make sure that, that people understand who we are, what we do, why we do it, and, and that they buy into it. Because, you know, I often talk about there's, there's a big spectrum of, of interested parties out there. You know, you get the one end of the spectrum who are just crazy dog lovers who are likely not going to be able to be successful running a business for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because they get so tied up in each individual dog that they lose sight of the fact that there's a hundred dogs there and there's a business to run and, and whatnot. And then the other end of the spectrum, you know, I get 10 phone calls a week from, you know, kind of the, the wall street private equity type of people who want to get into this, who don't like dogs, don't care about, you know, they're, they're never going to be able to deliver the customer service and, and build the community and the goodwill that is necessary when all you care about is the PL and the bottom line. So while there's definitely a big, you know, um, middle ground there on that spectrum, you know, I like to get involved very, very early to, to try to flush that out and make sure that, that we know who we're dealing with. Well, I mean, that's going to be hugely beneficial towards towards whenever you make the decision to exit, because what you'll have is you'll have brand advocates uh, that are scaling their businesses. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of franchisees get into business uh, not understanding scale. They think one unit, and I'm going to make the, the wealth that I want for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that you build wealth, and in, in my opinion, you definitely have to have the grit and the hustle attached to the to the PL and the grit and the hustle in, in your case you have to have some passion for for the pet industry so that you will take care of your customers and you will do the right thing uh, and make sure that you're you're building building that that culture with the staff and that's that's where it's like the Jesse way has to continue no matter what market you're in and that's where the vision of the the founder CEO uh, plays tremendous role in whether a brand can be successful um, or not. So if someone has now watched our discussion and they've hit this point um, and they are a ghost and for, for what it's worth, time, time on sites, not significant time before inquiry, uh, all franchises were, were over a thousand that we've spoken with that we do on, on PR services for we're, we're using that as an opportunity to understand the bio journey, 6.4 months from impression to inquiry. So they are coming back in a, in a process and that hmm. the number hasn't changed since we started doing this uh, at the beginning of last year. Um, and so th- there's a value point in there. Lower investment goes a little bit faster, higher investment, a little bit slower. Um, so think about that, that you do have ghosts on your website who are, who are looking at you maybe don't have a why you why now maybe there's not enough turbulence in their in their personal life or career mm-hmm. life to make this change um, but they are watching you so the ghost is watching this right now you don't know who they are they haven't filled out the form what do you want them to know about your opportunity no i mean i i it's interesting i from our own internal research we're almost exactly dead on with that too and that's six to seven months from you know when they say they first connected with us until until we have a signed agreement so that's that's good to, to validate that um you know, as I spoke about that spectrum, that's the type of person we're looking for. Um, this is not something, you know, we've, we've intentionally made a pivot over the last few years to move away from kind of owner operators. So this is something that, you know, we would prefer you keep doing whatever your day job is. This is something that um, our really successful owners have proven that you can manage and thrive with, you know, somewhere between eight and 12 hours a week of, of attention towards it. Of course, there's some spikes in that, you know, around the opening and, and training um, weeks. but um, you know, this is just such a, a booming industry. Um, every market that we look at, 
um, the, the demand so far outpaces the supply. Um, and, you know, I'm sure most dog owners out there that'll resonate with them. If, if you don't book your, you know, holiday boarding stay four months in advance, you're going to be, you know, calling around to a lot of places and unfortunately probably into having to either find a friend or family to watch the dog or, you know, in the event that, that you're new to the market, uh, you know, leave your dog somewhere that you don't feel great about. So um, a tremendous opportunity. Every major market is available. Pittsburgh's really the only one that is sold out. Um, so we're just super excited about finding the right people to help us grow this brand. And to your point, um, we're certainly looking for folks who, who have the vision to open several of them. We don't require anyone to purchase, you know, more than one upfront, but of course, you know, we want folks who are coming into this looking to, to help us build something a little bit bigger, you know, two or three stores, if not more. Well, I think there's a huge other advantage that anybody that's watching this should listen to. And that's, uh, you've, tried this and tested it and failed at this for 15 years to perfect this model. And now you're hitting this scale point, but that was a 15 year story in the making to get to this point. And so there are plenty of human beings that are thinking about, can I actually start this business on my own? And you've done a lot of the homework for them. So if you want to spend the next 15 years chasing, chasing your tail, go, go ahead and do it. Or you, 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 cut, right. you cut, cut it off and go with, go with you guys. So, and, and you um, it's interesting because this industry, I think you're, you're spot on. There's a lot of people who um, I don't want to say mistaken their, their love for the pets as, Oh, I can do this. You know? And I think when it comes to a lot of other, you know, I, I spend just as much time in, in the sales process trying to talk people out of joining the franchise as I do into it. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone thinks they want to own their own business. Everyone thinks they want to be an entrepreneur. And sure, having the support of a franchisor really limits a lot of the potential risk and helps you, you know, understand and, and figure out how to, to succeed much faster. But um, I, I always say to people, you know, everything that I'm telling you, pretend this wasn't a dog care business, pretend it was a pizza business or pretend it was a, you know, a, a transmission business or whatever it is, would you still want to do this? Because all of these things I'm telling you about the, the, the heartache of employee management and financial administration, all of these things, you know, pets, dogs in particular can make people overlook a lot of red flags that if it was any other business, they'd be like, Oh, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. But because it's dogs, they're like, yeah, I'm just not going to worry about that. I just want to play with dogs. So, um, you know, that, that's a big one. But so far this year, we've had three individuals who have come to our discovery day. Um, and we, we, we hold a discovery day once a month. And we have uh, in our history uh, about a 95% uh, close rate from discovery day because we, we don't invite most people who want to come because at the end of the day, I don't want to waste anybody's time or money if we see anything that we're not concerned about. But um, so far this year, we've had three individuals who came to discovery day. And as they were leaving, shook my hand and said, Jesse, I have to tell you, I came here totally on a mission to steal as much as I could. I had already filed the paperwork to open my own one of these. It was going to be called, you know, Nick's Doggy Daycare. Uh, I've gone to three of your competitors before you and did the same thing with them. I'm signing a franchise agreement with you because I just realized I can't do this on my own. And everything that you provide to us is, is what I need to be successful. And you, how quickly can we start? Those are the stories you need to press down. And I, I think they're like, do those happen across franchising? Rarely because, yeah. because most, and look, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick, quick story. We're talking to um, a franchisee. He's in, he's a franchisee of footprints floors. Mm -hmm. 
he always wanted to own a restaurant, restaurant guy, restaurant general manager. And he said he went to Discovery Days and it happened multiple times where culturally he just didn't feel aligned with the leadership. And he said, I'm not opening up a restaurant. And so the restaurant industry lost someone good because of the culture that presents there. I think most franchisors treat a discovery process as we're rejecting, we're looking to reject or accept you versus how do we make sure that the relationship is aligned? And I can tell you based on this conversation and the way that you're approaching it and the way that you're approaching franchising, if someone gets to meet you and hear what you just talked to uh, me about, it will say that there there are good ones in franchising. And it seems like you're doing all the right things. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, for Jesse, I'm Nick. This was another Meet the Zor. Jesse, thank you for all the time. I loved hearing your story. Look forward to hearing where the story goes from here on out. Thanks so much, Nick. Talk soon. Take care.